This episode of 1801 Live was originally recorded during a 12-hour podcast-a-thon streamed live on August 28th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The Give Black Podcast-a-thon benefited U of SC's One Creed, One Carolina campaign, which supports initiatives that elevate and encourage black students, faculty, and staff. Together, our five hosts and over 20 guests helped raise more than $10,000 for the campaign over 12 hours. Find more information on the podcast-a-thon and the link to donate at www.garnetmedia.org slash giveblack. I'm doing great. It's good to see you. You too. I don't know if you you have a busy schedule probably, but if you've been able to touch in a little bit on the knowledge that's been dropped by Man. so I've been it's been awesome. I've been had I've had a couple of meetings but I've been dipping in and out. Um I don't don't tell the provost, but I was his retreat the provost retreat was today and I was sort of bouncing in and out to catch up. So, so it's been awesome. You've done such a fabulous job. I'm just happy to be here and we got some great guests lined up, so uh, yeah, we should. It's gonna be fun. Oh yes, and I gave us thirty minutes. So our first guest is gonna be at one thirty, just to talk about you, because I feel like you are now have a pivotal, uh, have a pivotal position, not with just within a university, but just to get the viewers to get a full glance of who is Julian Williams. So if you could give us a little bit about your background story and how you got yeah. to where you are today. Oh man, thanks so much, Hannah. Um, uh, so I have the, the pleasure of serving as the University of South Carolina's first vice president uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is uh, a humbling fact that is not lost on me uh, at any time. Um, you know, I, I sort of jumping back a, a whole lot of years, um, a product of, uh, of, of higher education, of public higher education, of public education in general. Uh, grew up in the shadow of a flagship university in my home state in Michigan as the, at the University of Michigan. Grew up uh, raised by my mom. My dad passed away when I was about seven years old of, uh, of brain cancer. So the oldest of two younger brothers. Uh, and I always say that we, uh, what we lacked in financial resources, we made up for in love. Uh, tremendous focus on, uh, on education in my house. Um, my mom always talked about us, talked to us about hard work and, uh, you know, I was extremely fortunate. So I get to, to the University of Michigan as an undergraduate in the year two, uh, in the year 2000. And it's, it's just a time when, uh, you know, I, I, I was, it was 15 minutes down the road, but it might've some days it felt like it was 15 hours away. Like it's just, it was a different world from where I grew up, uh, even though it was so close. And we were getting to this institution and immediately, feeling like, wow, like, you know, first of all, a lot of my classmates have, you know, they've gotten, they got a Mercedes at 16. Like, it's crazy. Like to think, you know, folks are actually living like that. And I, you know, I worked all throughout undergrad. I always say I didn't, I couldn't do a job if it wasn't paid. Like I was an orientation leader. I was an RA. I was, uh, what else did I do? I worked uh, at at our telephone office. So raising money, calling alumni, uh, raising money for the institution. I worked as a, 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 a an ambassador for our undergraduate, uh, our minority undergraduate admissions program, trying to get more students, black students uh, and students of color like myself into the university. Uh, and then immediately just got active on campus. And and one of the things that uh, I, I 
saw, even as an undergraduate being active in, in, in Black student organizations and in, in, in a leadership role, uh, you know, I was, I was thankful for my institution for taking a, a proactive stance on recruitment. So right at, at that time, the University of Michigan was being sued because of its admissions policy. It was being sued by folks that didn't get into the institution and had somehow focused their energy and efforts on Black students that we had somehow stolen uh, a spot that uh, at the university that wasn't that we didn't deserve. So while I was thankful that the university was fighting in the Supreme Court for its proactive admissions policy. I had some questions, though. I, my questions were, OK, yeah, you got us here and myself and my friends and my younger brother. But where's the rest? You know, because we're immediately stepping into uh, a, a, a situation even 20 years ago, and this what a lot of our students are experiencing now, where you're immediately looked at by your peers as if you're undeserving of your place at this institution. You're immediately looked at by your peers. I remember being asked uh, by some of my classmates of, oh, what sport do you play? Um, because the automatic assumption uh, is that if, if you're a black male at, at the university at that time, is that you couldn't be there because you were an actual, uh, uh, you know, good academic uh, uh, student. You were th there um, as 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 an athlete. So um, the questions that I had directed for towards our senior leadership was was where's the rest? Where's the proactive thinking around what our experience is going to be like? Uh, and and you know, at the time, didn't feel like we were heard uh, as much. So I try to carry um, that experience of being. In, an activist, as well as feeling at times invisible uh, on my campus uh, at, at, to the work that I do, um, where I think I have an opportunity to provide a bit of voice for students. But after undergrad, I went, uh, went to law school, uh, practiced civil rights law uh, in Michigan um, for about five years. So uh, helping folks that have been uh, discriminated against at their jobs, sexually harassed at work, bringing, uh, you know, as a litigator and um, really in truly uh, enjoyed that, gave me the, sort of the legal foundations and, and was a huge legal nerd. So I think that, that's helpful. Um, and then, you know, transitioned to working in higher education about 10 years ago. Uh, and then, you know, just sort of took off from there, found uh, a comfort zone. Uh, remember, hearkening back to um, the, the best times where, you know, as an undergraduate, as a law student, uh, you know, and, and really what I love is being a part of the energy that happens on our college and university campus, being a part of the atmosphere. I think I always say that the, even on the worst days of work, I can walk outside of my office and engage with students, or I can go to an event, and it just kind of centers you. Uh, and I think we, we, we see students uh, at such a crucial time in their life. Uh, higher education is built around solving problems, and what bigger problem right now to solve than, 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 than racism and, and systemic inequities and those sorts of things. So how do we garner and marshal uh, energy around that? Uh, and, you know, I'm thankful. I, I spent five years at George Mason University up in Northern Virginia. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, appointed vice president at age 33, uh, which is crazy. Uh, and, and, you know, I have to look up five years later and, and, and to now be at a, a flagship university, um, one with a, a huge opportunity uh, in front of it. Um, with some amazing students. I mean, that's the crazy part, Hannah. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, in, uh, in even just the two months I've been here is how dope our students are and our alumni are and what they're doing. And I'm just excited to work on their behalf, uh, to work with our president uh, and our provost, who everybody just got a chance to hear from and talk to. 
and the rest of our senior leadership team. So it's been exciting. Um, you know, I'm still adjusting to the humidity down here in South Carolina, <laughs> but I'm looking, I'm looking forward also to the, uh, to the lack of winters being a Michigan boy myself. That'll be fun. So just excited to be here, Hannah. Oh yeah, and just pro tip, born and raised in South Carolina, you'll never get used to the humidity. But you know, <laughs> you keep it pushing. <laughs> you keep it pushing. And you know, uh, I don't know if someone's told you, but probably from Michigan, you're used to snow. Here, if it's all, if they think it's gonna snow, then everything's down, everything's closed. We can't do anything. But just want to go back to your experience as a student leader, because how you were talking about it I could relate so much to everything you were saying. And so being in that position, I know we often talk about students and how we feel, especially even marginalized students and how they feel in their experiences. But I don't think we talk enough about faculty and administrators, especially administrators that um, identify in those marginal communities as a student and now still like if you being a black male as the university uh, Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion. And so how is it being in those shoes once before as students to where yeah. you talk to and now being in your role and seeing both sides? Yeah, and I think it, I think it gives me, I, I, I'm not going to say it's easy every day because it's not, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a true optimist. Uh, and one of the things I enjoy about my role is that I get to be the most authentic that I probably ever had the chance to be professionally. So as, uh, as, a, as a Black male as a, a black person in general a person of color there's there I always say there's sometimes parts of you that you have to leave at home that you just can't bring to work because you know you don't know how, how it's going to be perceived uh, and I think in my role I'm I have the opportunity to bring more of me to my job than I ever have before it's one of the reasons that I love it but with that you also I also understand that you know there that comes with risks um, but I what I try to do is to be honest at, at every moment uh, and, and center myself around honesty, around authenticity, around um, uh, being an advocate for, for our students and our faculty in these ways. Look, I'm in South Carolina. I know we're it, having conversations about race, uh, uh, having true getting really uncomfortable about race around sexual orientation. That doesn't come easy to us. I don't think it comes easy to us regardless of where you're from. But historically, you know, we've struggled with that here. Um, but we've got to get on. We've got to get comfortable quick, in my opinion. So I enjoy uh, what I do because I can bring the experience that I have as a student. Grew, I mean, grew up um, in re relatively meager uh, financial resources. So when we talk about what need-based aid looks like, I know that well because I was a recipient of it. But you know, I think I I'm always trying to get us to demystify the language that we use. Uh, when we're talking about students and what those students look like, uh, when we're talking about what true opportunity is, it's not a lack of talent. I don't believe that any student, whether they be student of color or majority student, lacks talent uh, here in South Carolina or abroad. No, what, they, what we lack is opportunity. Uh, what the lack is the access to the, to the resources and the opportunities. So how do we bridge that? And, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, a product of what a transformative education looks like um, in, in, in a multitude of ways. I heard the, the provost talking about it. Uh, and I think if, if more, the more folks that can come uh, and tell that story, 
and then have that inform our decisions because that's the next step is as I sit in meetings and we talk about the strategic direction of this university going forward, I always want to center those decisions that we're going to make and how they're going to impact our students or the messages that we're sending out, whether they be explicit or implicit messages of those decisions and what does that look like um, and then just to you know honestly just show up black every day and that's all I can do uh, you know I won't I won't apologize for it I'm not gonna hide from it uh, it's been I felt extremely welcomed and and appreciated uh, even in the two months that I've been here and I'm just looking forward to just kind of settling in and uh, and going from there absolutely and I know uh, you spoke to touching in and out within the podcast, but multiple people, including Dr. Treadwell, one of the three students at Desegregation University, gave all of us a, an action list. So a set of actions that she wants all of us to see. And one of those things is to your um, point of having the conversations, uncomfortable conversations, as well as expanding your network to those that don't even look like you in order to have more of a collaborative environment but also the tangible actions and making sure that not only you're just marching just to march or posting or reposting on Instagram or Twitter, but also doing what you can, whether that is in academics and focusing on that so you can be the best you can be after in your career or even however that might look. So for one students, what do you think um, those actions can look like for us? And then how do you see the university it, believe that taking that goal as well as having those uncomfortable conversations and then also moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that it's, it's and I think um, um, Dr. Donaldson mentioned it, it's a, a taking ownership. And what I will always tell students is that this place is yours. Like it, your, and, and there's going to be aspects of the, the university experience that are going to make you feel like it's not. I, rem I remember that tr tremendously. And I can only imagine what that looks like for students in South Carolina and at the University of South Carolina, where, where there's going to be parts of this university that are going to make you feel like you don't, that this isn't yours. And it's not, and it is. Uh, if anything, I mean, I walk through the horseshoe every day and it's not lost on me that our people built like the, the, the foundational pieces, the spaces that we hold sacred, if anything, if anybody has a claim to it or a better claim than others, in my opinion, it's not about sort of whose claim is more true, but it's that, that, you know, there's a lot of blood, black blood, sweat and tears that went into the foundations of this university, the sacrifices of, of the, the, the three pioneers that walked through those gates uh, in 1963, like that's, that's, that's what we carry with us. And, you know, so what I would encourage students is to, is to take ownership, uh, to hold us accountable, um, you know, coming as a, as a former student activist, I think we've got to, it, it can't be what I will always challenge our students is to, okay, how do we do this together? Um, not that the work is supposed to fall on the students, because I do believe that the folks that get paid to, to lead this university have a, a responsibility there. Um, but we've got to do this. We, we, there has to, we have to do this together. And what I always want to do is to open up the avenues of, of conversation uh, and, and listening and, and engage from there. So I think it's about taking that ownership. Uh, and then sort of lastly, the last thing I'll say is, is you know, we got to graduate. So, you know, I, you know, and I was probably a product I, I ran you know, two student organizations at three jobs. I was doing way too much. And it's, you know, what I would tell myself is like maybe scale down and make sure you graduate, make sure you finish, make sure you're focusing in, uh, in, in the classroom as well. And just don't be deterred. You know, I think that's the, 
the, the, the piece to this is, is, is and, and, and Dr. Tate mentioned it, finding your circle, I, I think is key, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting to know students and engaging with them uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of holding us accountable as a leadership team, as an administration, let me hear from you uh, and, and, and let's partner together to actually make this institution what we are setting out to be, uh, and and how do we highlight and highlighting that? And you know, I, honestly, Hannah, this is a great I mean, avenue. I applaud you for putting this together because this is a way, um, one of the ways out of many, uh, for us to do that and raising money for these causes. I'm watching the the sort of tote board go up higher and higher, and then you know, every dollar that's earned and then that's raised is going to matter and have an impact. And you know, I think about folks that are looking to have an impact. You know, nobody wants to, I mean, not, and I don't mean, I know our development folks would get on me if I was started, you know, sort of down in the endowment, but the endowment's important. And, you know, giving money to support the long-term health of the university that sits in a bank and earns interest is important. But to me, to me, folks want to, you know, feel like that what they're giving has an impact. And what better way to have an impact is on students directly, on scholarships, on uh, on, on seeing that, uh, that investment sort of grow uh, in terms of opportunity. Yeah, 100%. I know you mentioned in um, your answer about you being heavily involved, whether it was um, organizations as well as jobs, but currently right now, I know a lot of students, student leaders who feel that way of being heavily involved, especially right now with the pandemic going on and everything, just to maintain their coursework, but also pay tuition and still feel like if they're making an impact now more than ever, because I know a lot of students I've had conversations with, it's, it's like they don't, or they feel like that they don't have time, but it's like they just, they can't do with not having their hands involved with something to make change. And yeah. so what advice would you give as far as balance? Is there a balance or how to just maintain that steady mental health, um, mental health balance of you're going to have to go to sleep at night and not everything is going to be done, but how do you go continue on? Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, in this moment we're being confronted with so, I mean, just, just a few days ago and waking up and, and seeing, you know, Jacob Blake and, and processing all of that and, and students are processing all of that in this moment. I'm a huge proponent of, of making, you've got to protect your own psychological safety and well-being. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, having conversations, you know, there's, the, it's okay not to, not to have the energy to confront the, 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 pro, the, the crazy people that are in the, 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 the student in, in the middle of campus. Uh, if you don't have the energy to confront that at that date and time, you're heading to class, that's okay. Uh, I'm always a huge proponent of telling students that, you know, that especially those that are heavily involved and heavily active and giving so much of themselves, that it's okay to take some time for yourself. It's okay to um, delegate to others within your student organization, having led student orgs. Sometimes the work falls on, you know, the willing and, and your peers will gladly, if you step up, if you look like, okay, yeah, Hannah can do this or Hannah, she did so great with this last time. And let's just you know, but it's okay to say, y'all, I can't do this. I need help. Like, help, help me, help us put this together and, and, and figure out. So it's okay to delegate. And then I think it's okay to take advantage of the, 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 the counseling resources that we have available. We have an awesome counseling center, great director, great staff there. Go talk to those folks, even if you feel like you're doing all right. Um, because I, one of the things that I wish I could go back 20 years and tell myself when I was an undergrad, 
um, you know, that last semester, I'm looking at, I'm applying to law school. Um, I've got three jobs leading two organizations. And I remember that second semester, the days I just couldn't get out of bed, like literally couldn't get out of my bed. Like it was just all falling on. I'm graduating, I'm trying to figure out I'm going to law school, studying for the LSAT. And I look back at it 15, 16 years later, like legit depressed, legitimately for like a solid two months depressed. But I didn't have the, the, the skills at that time to walk myself over to the counseling center at my undergraduate institution and talk to somebody. Um, and that's what I, I, I always tell that story to students, especially the ones that are super active like me, because if, if that happens, then you know, take advantage of the resources that are available to you. Take advantage of those tools, talk to somebody, tell somebody and take advantage or you know, be protective of your psychological uh, and mental health and well-being, especially in this moment where we have to really focus in on that. Yeah, that is amazing. And very important. I mean, I'm taking, I know I've talked to many students, but I too am going to definitely take that advice. But now, piggyback off of that, um, going towards your experience with civil rights law. And so I just want to know, very interested in the topic, and I feel like everyone now, not maybe does not have a juris doctorate, but is still kind of getting involved or saying, okay, no, I don't have my JD or not officially certified, but I need to become more knowledgeable. So what would you say to everyone out there right now, especially during these circumstances? I know it's probably interesting for you having your background, seeing everything laid out how it is and just having your mindset. So I just want to get some insight or just know what you're thinking about right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think that the advocacy for, for, I think advocacy for change starts with, with knowledge and getting knowledgeable. And I think some of that knowledge is going to start with, okay, how do I, as we think about even uh, the relationships between police and citizens. So let me educate myself on sort of what qualified immunity looks like. Let's educate ourselves on what the rights are for folks that are in these, maybe these situations with law enforcement. Um, so, you know, for me as a, as a legal sort of nerd and scholar, um, I think starting, you don't have to have a JD to, uh, to, to want to sort of know more, especially about the, you know, the law is sort of the underpinnings of, of sort of what our society is built on. Now, what we also know is that the law has also been, uh, hasn't always been equitable and accessible uh, to folks, especially persons of color. We know that it was legal uh, in many states to discriminate. It's been legal to exclude per black people and people of color and women in various ways. So there's been an evolution there. Um, but for me, it started, uh, you know, that passion started actually as an undergraduate. While my, while the University of Michigan and other schools like it were fighting in the Supreme Court uh, around their uh, race conscious admissions policies. I just wanted to know more. I want to know, okay, what arguments uh, is the university uh, utilizing to, to, to basically just from their perspective, justify um, the fact that they admitted myself and others. And as I started to learn more, I really started to develop a passion for equity and for justice. Uh, and then as I start practicing, then you realize um, where those gaps exist for folks that are uh, that, that that are looking for access to justice. So, Chesley mentioned that she was a practicing attorney, and I, you know, know a, a ton of them. And I think, you know, from a legal field perspective, we need more black lawyers. We need more, more women lawyers. We need more folks with with backgrounds like we've talked about that are in these courtrooms that are uh, talking to, to to folks and helping, hopefully, providing access to justice uh, as well. So, you know, this time is is really um, um just just watching it and experiencing it uh, has been really awesome 
my hope is that um, you know we we're in a movement and not a moment, uh, and that we take these take this moment and really look for ways to transform our country, uh, transform our, our our university to be the equitable environment that we're all uh, I think hopefully all looking for as well. Absolutely, and I know um, I just want to give a little bit or get some insight on you being in your role right now, we're coming back to school, and just any advice you would offer to the student body with the current circumstances that are um, in place. I know that a lot has happened, but just any advice for students, um, what you encourage us to do or what you advise us to do as we continue throughout the school year, um, specifically health um, as far as the pandemic, but also a yes. lot of the um, incidences that have been happening across campus. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Hannah. I mean, I think one is health-wise is take care of yourself, you know, wearing your mask, making sure that you're following all of the guidelines around COVID. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I was walking through Russell House um, the other day, just kind of acclimating myself and walking around, seeing where stuff is, but uh, was, was hardened to see all of the students that I saw wearing masks and really uh, abiding by the, the directives of trying to make sure that, that folks are remaining safe on campus. But then there was a think about sort of the, the other pieces of what's happening is, is protecting your, your psychological safety as well. It's okay um, to, it's okay to unplug a bit. Um, sometimes I'm as much of a news junkie as I am, uh, I have to turn it off and I'll just watch reruns of The Office, which is one of my favorite shows. And I just mm -hmm. sort of started just because I need something, you know, you kind of have to unplug. It's okay. I've made a, a, a conscious effort, um, you know, not to uh, engage in, I can't watch any more videos uh, of, of, of black trauma like uh, that. I just can't. Uh, um, and, 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 you know, because we're experiencing it and, and seeing it. So it's okay to disengage uh, from, from there. And, but I also encourage students um, that they, we've got to dive in to the, 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 the issues that are in front of us. I think students are, are the catalyst for change. If you, you know, Professor Donaldson was on, and if you asked him about the civil rights movement, especially it's, it's college campuses was the impetus for what was happening and the impetus for change. I remember being, before I left and, and moved down here, my wife and I, um, being at the protests in DC, and what we immediately saw is that these are college students out on these streets, that these are folks that are gonna be back to campus sort of pushing for change, and I think that energy is, is awesome. So I would encourage folks to actively engage uh, in this time, in this, in, where you find yourself, actively engage on your campus because this is home uh, and, and what better, what, where better to start with change than at home, but also understanding um, is that you may not be able to do it all in four years. I always tell student leaders that like if some of this work might be for somebody else to pick up and that's okay. Like, you know, it was funny after I, after I graduated and I'd finished with this long list of stuff that I wish I would have gotten done. And then you figure out is like, no, well, actually the, the, the seeds that you've planted, it might be somebody else's job to come and water and pick up. Uh, from there. And we stand on the shoulders of many of us, of the folks before us. So, you know, don't feel like you have to do it all. Um, but, you know, do what you can and, and, and engage, but also make sure that you're, we're taking care of ourselves as well. Agree. Thank you so much for that advice. And before I let our first guest um, in for the hour, I just wanted to get a little bit of more 
questions answered as far as you moving into Columbia. So how has it been just uh, moving in? I know if you're anything like me, boxes are still around, but maybe you have moved everything in, restaurants, where you like to go, um, <laughs> things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's been the, my, so my, my wife, Jimmy, and I, we really, we love to kind of go out. We love uh, just kind of, and we haven't been able to do that as much. I mean, she's a, she's a very, she's an extrovert uh, as well. So we haven't been able to do that as much, but we, we um, really enjoy the area. We're going down to the, uh, the art museum actually on Sunday, I think, Saturday or Sunday, one of those days to go see the, uh, the one of the new black art exhibits, uh, I think it's a black photography exhibit. And that's our first time going down there. So we're excited about it. We'll probably grab some lunch. Uh, we found a little rooftop uh, bar that we we, we liked, uh, Hendrix down at the end of Main Street. Um, they have a lot, you kind of socially distanced up there. So that's pretty cool. But honestly, Hannah, we just really enjoy the area. We love our home and our neighborhood. People are really great. And I kind of knew it when I, I remember when I came for my interview, uh, and I was telling her like, hey, I, you know, I went for a, I walked around the, the downtown Columbia area and I was like, I think we'll like living here. Um, and we are really uh, excited to be in the area. Uh, love the weather. I had to buy more shorts, actually. I had to buy a lot more shorts. Um, and, you know, what, one of the things I'm really kind of concerned about uh, is, is uh, you know, I love clothes. I love fashion. And uh, I, you know, my, I had a lot of turtlenecks when I was in Northern Virginia because you kind of need those for that fall and winter. And, and now I don't know when I'm going to ever wear those at all because I just don't know if there'll ever be a need for a sweater down here at all. So I'm kind of worried that I won't be able to kind of sport my fall wardrobe. But other than that, things have been really great. <laughs> See, I was going to say you will need them, but you grew up in Michigan, so maybe my knee because I will wear a turtleneck a, a puff jacket boots and it might be maybe 40 30 degrees outside yeah so, see you know we and we did that it was funny when we came down we came down to go look at houses and our realtor couple there they were they did an awesome job but it was might have been 70 degrees and they had on long sleeves and everything <laughs> And we were hot, and it was just like they were like, "No, this is cold." And I was like, "Are you serious?" So I don't. I mean, I'm sure I'll acclimate, but uh, but it's been it's been a great uh, a great journey so far, and we're just excited to be a part of it.